0: Welcome to Single Serving Cinema with Tim and Tay, a podcast that looks at one critical scene in a movie every other week. We explore how the scene is constructed, what the scene achieves, and what it can tell us about the movie as a whole. I'm Tim. And I'm Tay. How's it going, movie fans?
1: And should I say, okay, buddy?
0: (laughs) You should say, okay, buddy.
1: Okay, buddy.
0: Because today we're talking about Swiss Army Man. This is uh, the listener vote for uh, our non-drama A24 month that began a couple weeks ago with Uncut Gems. And then we put up a vote. And I was really happy to see this one win. It's a weird movie. I think it's a great example of what A24 can do. And what it can sort of uniquely offer the cinema landscape. Uh, But to start, Tay, I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to admit something to you. Um... I think this movie is a lot about not, not hiding who you are or hiding the weird things your body does. And in this case, I, gotta, I, gotta, I, I, can't, I can't hide what my weird body didn't do. Uh, this is one of the few times where I could not fart on command, and I thought this might have been the only time where it would have been acceptable to do it on a microphone. It would have been so acceptable from that. my end, yeah. so yeah, <laughs> don't feel ashamed. We record remotely, so there's that at least. Yeah, wouldn't have to
1: stand the stench. Um, yeah. I actually wanted to start this whole podcast off with Just a long fart track But I also didn't want our podcast to end up Like this movie's premiere did at Sundance Which everyone walked out of
0: Yeah, yeah I mean this, this movie really boldly starts off And tells you what it's about And I did read that as well That you got a lot of people walking out And, and I've definitely shown this to people before Where they, they see this opening sequence And they're really not in on it Yep, my mom was one of those people <laughs> yeah i mean it um this movie wears its heart on its sleeve or maybe its fart on its sleeve i'm sorry i apologize <laughs> there's gonna for be that. a few of those jokes i feel yeah and uh, i find it to be very endearing i think this movie has a lot of without being meta about filmmaking at all this movie clearly has a lot of joy and passion about the filmmaking process I think we both found in research for it a lot of that was going on behind the camera too right
1: yeah I feel like the magic just kind of exudes from the Daniels who's the director combo made up of Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if they actually both go by Daniel maybe it's Dan Scheinert but um they go by Daniels as directors and they've made a couple mm-hmm. movies together and so far so good with the, with their career trajectory. Uh, I heard about this movie initially because Daniel Radcliffe had some pretty funny statements about what walking out of a movie means.
0: <laughs> Bit of a controversy. And you had um, a lot of discussion about this over social and then some people walked out. And then some people cheered wildly. So it's a pretty divisive film. I mean, what else could you ask for? That's like, I mean, that's kind of perfect. You get you get the crazy headlines of uh, what what was it? Um, Daniel Radcliffe's farting corpse movie causes people to walk out. Like that's like uh, that's like so surreal. It sounds like an Onion article. Like that (laughs) that, that should not exist (laughs) in real life. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, And uh, so immediately when you hear a group of people walking out of a movie at Sundance, especially when it's you know Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano. Uh, it pikes my interest almost every time I, I wanted to see this movie from, for like a year before I actually could see it. So the hype was real mm-hmm. for me.
0: Yeah, no, this, this movie had some hype. I think, you know, getting Dan Radcliffe to be the corpse in your farting corpse movie is definitely the right move. I think that definitely helped them. You know, just a an undeniably um, recognizable person. Someone who you can tell he's been trying to get past his Harry Potter legacy and do a lot of odder stuff and work with a lot of different directors. And uh, I think this is a great move for him and great move for the movie. And and you're right too. Those like, just like with the, like the 22 minute standing ovations at Cannes, um, the walkout of Sundance is kind of a thing. It's kind of like a headline meme. And uh, it definitely does pique your interest. And I, I remember being really excited for this movie and absolutely loving it when I got to finally see it. Because it, it, you do kind of get that feeling where you're like, I've never seen anything like this before. And I probably won't see much else like it again. Yeah, um,
1: that's the way I felt from minute one, basically. I was mm-hmm. like, I've never seen anything like this already.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's why I think that's, you know, you risk people walking out because I think a a more strategic take on this movie would ramp up towards this kind of stuff but this one dives headfirst into what it's about Um, and we should too so just in case you haven't watched it um, Swiss Army Man is about a hopelessly lost man who discovers and befriends a dead body and uses its miraculous if gross abilities to survive the wilderness and make his way home starring Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe Swiss Army Man was directed by Daniels and released January 22nd 2016 it's available to stream both on Amazon Prime and uh, for free on Plex with ads on plex eh yeah plex uh it, it every now and then it'll surprise you and it'll have something and the ads are a little pervasive but if you don't want to pay for prime like i don't i don't blame you and uh if you're trying to save some money don't want to rent it either uh, you could watch it on plex and just put up with that commercial every 15 minutes or something
1: yeah i actually am still waiting for a good blu-ray copy of this to uh, be more feasible and accessible to me, but mm-hmm. I do have the d v d which has a ton of good features on it, so we'll kind of mix in some of the commentary uh comments I guess and mm-hmm. just uh we'll touch on some of the stuff that they mentioned about the behind the scenes uh much of which you can
0: actually just find on YouTube as well as tim did yeah and I mean so the the uh the tagline for this is we all need some body to lean on um so some and body cut apart right separate words uh, great little pun I think a fantastic tagline I did there's I this is one of those movies where every now and then you get a quote in it though where you're like that's a good tagline for this movie too um, in a different way I really like hurry before you starve and die I think this movie that's is very one. concerned with the human experience and that's a great way to boil it down <laughs> um, but we should also mention yeah so it had a three million dollar budget and only a five point eight million dollar return um, but I think, I think still became a little bit iconic and was definitely the right stepping stone for the Daniels career. They were able to, um, I believe. So you might know them better. Honestly, you might've overlooked this movie, but you may have seen, you've definitely heard about everything everywhere all at once that came out this year. Um, it's still in theaters, some in some major metropolitan areas. And it came out in July. Um, it just sort of keeps re returning and they had a nice sort of spread out, um, distribution schedule throughout europe and asia as well so it's had a nice long tail on it but that one uh, did a, a 10x budget from this this was three million dollar budget that was 30 million for every everything everywhere all at once also a24 so in many ways you could see swiss army man as a success and i think a great example of what a24 can do which is find promising creative young talent and give them just enough money to do what they want, but then give them total control. Because I don't think this movie would have been financed anywhere else. I think you'd have to find some weird millionaire and say, I need $2 million to make my farting corpse movie and just convince them directly if you didn't have A24.
1: Well, so they did kind of do that. So I don't want to say that this is all A24. It is because they are the head producer of this movie, but they did have a couple other studios, which I don't have Mm -hmm. in front of me right now, that did... Uh, pitch in and according to the Daniels who at the very beginning of the commentary where the logos are coming up they said that the, two of them were p- quite fundamental in getting this movie actually made after A24 had kind of told them yes you can make this movie but we need a bit more funding we'll try and find mm-hmm. it for you and uh, so it is I don't want to take anything away from what A24 is doing because like you said they find the talent they trust the talent that they find, and they let them yep. make what they want. And this is the result of finding creative, innovative filmmakers who are truly unique to the industry. This is this is a mm-hmm. different kind of movie than what the industry had experienced before. And the I don't see this kind of curtailing in any way. I think A24 is going to keep finding this talent and continue being the launch pad for some truly tremendous filmmakers that are going to go on to do great things like the Daniels.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, so the Daniels resume is largely in music videos prior to this. Um, And some really great ones, the turn down for what music video was fantastic, which features uh, Daniel Kwan as the, uh, the sort of lead dancer in that as a guy who, for lack of a better description, like humps his way through an apartment building, destroying everything. Really, not like any 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 sexual en- energy directed towards another person very often, so much as all the objects busting through the floor, things like that. Um, if you watch, if you haven't seen Swiss Army Man, you just watch the trailer, and then you go watch the video for Turn Down for What. You can see, I think you can just see the line in the way these guys like to do effects and stunts. There's this specific like they love their slow-mo they love their sort of high frame rate for like a specific action of a body if it's a flip or something destructive you can see how that's sort of maintained through all the way to everything everywhere all at once um and uh and their love of practical effects and i think their music video experience just really set them up for success in terms of taking a tiny budget and maxing it out. Cause like on a music video, of course you're working with even a fraction of it there and you have to make it look stylish. Or you have to meet a goal, uh, a tone, things like that.
1: Yeah. And it, like, I know this is a separate subject, but you know, their collaborations in music videos also led them to find their composers for this film, which was the two of the members of Manchester orchestra, the band, uh, Andy Hall and Robert McDowell who did a tremendous job on this and that kind of speaks to uh, how the Daniels like to conduct their crew and how they like to make their movies which is very collaboratively They, one of the better quotes let me see if I can find it um, He says they said in the end, work dynamic is way more important than anything else for us. Passion trumps experience in almost all cases, and that was in that was the response to the question of why did you hire two composers who had never made a movie before? Um, Mm. And they also had comment. They made comments like that. This was the crew was a lot of their friends, and they brought them into the woods and made these this crazy movie. Um, which goes against so many conventional ideas of both what movie making should be and what movies are. Mm. And you can tell how much fun they're having while making this in all these practical ways and coming up with creative solutions uh, on the spot because you have such good dynamics on set, which
0: is so rare, to be honest. Yeah. No, like obviously it's, you can never tell from this sort of second and third hand accounts but when you watch these making of featurettes and stuff like that you really do get the how they're imparting this uh, great sort of community within their sets where people are having fun they're working together they're finding very creative solutions to certain things like there's a great little story about where at the beginning when Dan Radcliffe is playing the corpse and his washed up on the beach and then it keeps farting more and more and more and a different sort of dynamics. They just had Daniel Scheinert in his eyeline, in Dan Radcliffe's eyeline, like, conducting his farts, right? Things like that. That is a I mean, hilarious behind-the-scenes shot, or eh? like Yeah. It's fantastic. And it's all things like that. And I think that you just sort of feel that bleed through, again, This, the love of what they're doing and the love of filmmaking, even though this movie is not at all meta about filmmaking and things like that. There is a little bit of sort of presentation in in the the scene that we're going to talk about and there are a couple times where um paul dano's character hank will sort of reference um film language like the camera pushes in you, everything you left behind your jaw hangs open the camera pushes in cue the music the music swells right. things like that right. but um it's not as much as it could be while still having some of these hallmarks like i wanted to mention um you know the set design, the prop design, things like that. We're going to talk about in the scene uh, remind me a lot of "Be Kind Rewind," where they they sort of oh, made yeah. <laughs> made that thing about sweeting movies. Um, the idea of just like finding the cheapest possible way to uh, evoke an image or create a setting or or make something clear on camera. And I think I think a lot of that's here too.
1: Well, wow, that's a blast from the past. "Be Kind Rewind," good yeah. movie. Not my recommendation mm-hmm. for the week, but that's a that's a good one. Um, so, as far as the Daniels go, I I know we love to talk about directors that we haven't got the chance to speak about on the podcast yet, but there's so much I think we could dive into through the scene. So, mm-hmm. is there anything more you wanted to add about uh, Quan well, and
0: Shriner? No, I think we can leave uh, Daniels right now. I mean, we should talk a little bit about uh, Dan Radcliffe, though, one of the other Daniels True. on this. Um, uh, I do think, like, this is... You, you can see a number of actors do stuff like this like Elijah Wood and Rob Pattinson too. Just sort of very famous younger actors who get a franchise and then completely turn away from franchise and big studio stuff and just sort of work through either all the directors that they want to work with or the styles that they want to do or they have to change their image. So I mean Daniel Radcliffe you also had close to this year I'd say horns. Are those horns? Damn right, they're horns. As well, which is based yep. on that comic book. It was all filmed in, in Squamish, where my brother used to live. So I've seen a bunch of those locations. This and that, I think they go hand in hand, where he's just trying to explain to people that he's not Harry Potter. He just played Harry Potter. Well, so I think
1: the the thing that stands out about all three of those actors, actually. Well, first, firstly, Elijah Wood started his own film company, like film production company, mm-hmm. which is so impressive yep. because you know, Lord of the Rings royalties can give that to you. Um, But the fact that you choose to do that with your career is so admirable. And what I love about all three of these actors is their sense of humility about the roles that they've taken since their franchises, their mega franchises, Mm -hmm. I should say, because they don't have to do these kind of roles. And yet they all choose to take challenging, uh, at times, um, complicated roles that are unflattering to how they are aesthetically presented Mm -hmm. um you know like in case in point swiss army man right here daniel radcliffe is a dead body all movie he's Mm -hmm. pale he's gross he's got a boner that moves out of out of his control (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know there's so many fun things that they're choosing to do with their careers and i can't say enough about those three you know like we got to talk more elijah wood sometime uh, I might have something mm-hmm. in my shout-out or uh, recommendation yeah. this week f- about him. but
0: That's a great one.
1: But, yeah, it's so cool that you brought those three up because they are all in the same kind of vein. Mega franchise stars mm-hmm. that chose to do something more uh, creative and less flashy with the rest of their careers.
0: Yeah. yeah, and, no, I mean, I love this performance. I think, like, obviously there's something... Inherently difficult I'd say about how dead-eyed and dead-faced he is because it's really just speaking with his voice right mm-hmm. and then there are key moments where he's able to smile or or even like he'll move his eyes around to follow Paul Dano but um, I think it's a wonderful vocal performance I think number one obviously he gets he, he's doing an accent not his own and then there's this, to, just sort hard of hard to this, remember that sometimes yeah and there's this quality of it raising up out of him right it's like he's speaking from his chest but it makes it really funny there's some very highly comedic responses or things like that where he's he's looking at like the sports illustrated uh magazine (laughs) hey what is that or he sees uh the girl on the phone for the first time wow it's an inherently comedic performance and it's very locked in and i mean one some of the things that got a lot of sort of um uh we're sort of newsworthy about this was how often he it sounded like he insisted on being the dummy in a scene when it wasn't really him acting with his voice or his face so when they could they ended up having like radcliffe be dragged around by dano when it was safe to do so uh and when the the schedules lined up of course things like that because they did have uh we both saw i think in the behind the scenes stuff they had four different radcliffe dummies um one was made for, like, being carried by Dano. One was made just for shooting air out of a butt so it could make bubbles in water and stuff like that. And then There was, um, I one think, one more than to... that in terms of, like, the heads that they used. I think there's more heads, but four bodies. Heads, but, yeah, and, like, there's a body that was realistically weighted. So when they, like, threw it down a ravine, it would generally look like you were throwing Daniel Radcliffe's body down a, down a ravine. But uh, I think it's, I think it's a really committed performance, and it sounds like he did more than he had to in terms of what they were doing. Exactly. In one of those behind-the-scenes featurettes too, I really liked where they they talked about sort of their their opening idea for this uh, was the riding a farting body like a jet ski. Yeah. And one of the set designers was like was saying like, "Oh, that's cool. They'll do it in CGI." And then, like, you know, they got to know Daniels better. And they're like, oh, these guys don't use CGI unless they really have to. Or they use it where it counts, right? Like, they min-max it. Yeah. But otherwise, everything's done practically. Which is Um, clearly... I don't understand why the argument even exists.
1: Clearly, this is the way to make movies. Like, look how good mm -hmm. this movie looks. They did say in the commentary that they had to go in and remove some of his blanks. But they said it was so mm -hmm. minimal, like maybe a handful... And one time they had to do some effects on his chest because he was his uh, chest was moving like he was breathing.
0: I wondered about that because that that's the kind of thing where I've seen this a couple times. So this this time, you know, I was taking notes for the podcast, and I also didn't mind. I didn't feel too distracted in just watching Radcliffe's stillness and being like, that's a long scene that I know it's him, and I can't see his chest or his stomach moving from breathing. Yeah. So I wondered about that. That's interesting. So and apparently, I mean, that's a great application of CGI. Yeah, and I mean, when I say CGI, it's like, you know, cutting a plate together so, so it just doesn't move in that section of the screen. If you have a locked-off shot, I'm assuming it's not terribly difficult to do.
1: No, and that's um, why they're, it's a really clever film in that regard, too. They chose their moments very appropriately to have locked-off shots, and it doesn't look stagnant or it doesn't hold the movie back in any way because it's quite a kinetic film, as we're going to talk about specifically in yeah. our scene. There, There's a lot of movement, really clever editing to kind of cover all mm-hmm. these effects, but because of the consistency of all of that, which is completely credit to the directors, um, the consistency of that throughout the film is what makes it so believable. Because the quick cutting doesn't work if you're only doing it for sections where you have extensive CGI coverage, or like mm-hmm. make like you're covering things with CGI, right? So you yeah. you keep that consistency throughout the movie and I think that that's what makes it work and it also is a testament to how good these guys are as filmmakers Yeah, both working on the fly a lot from what they were saying and
0: with the grand plan overall that just fit Mm -hmm. well and and on that note like there's something that I heard in one of those behind the scenes things that I mean it kind of surprised me because generally I'd say this isn't the way anyone should make movies and there's a great example of it I think going wrong and they essentially said like their movies or their these concepts they have for music videos they begin with one image or idea and then they work backwards to build a story and i mean very famously i think you know um who did rogue one was that gareth edwards yes yeah gareth evans is the guy who did raid right i get him mixed up yeah i do too (laughs) yeah the guy who did rogue one said like he basically started from wouldn't be, wouldn't it be cool if this image wouldn't it be cool if this image wouldn't it be cool and then wrote a story around it and I don't think that's the right way to go about it but I mean here you go these guys they started with this farting jet ski corpse and then they're like what's the story behind this and they wrote an incredibly empathetic endearing story uh, very inclusive very much about us all being gross and the same and I mean maybe you just chalk that up to these guys cared about the story more than someone in a franchise because franchises continue to prove to us. You don't have to think about the story that hard, which is unfortunate.
1: Yeah. And it really shines through that they come from a, a background of not having big budgets, right? Because of their ability to, um, I don't know, overcome obstacles, uh, think about new clever ways of doing things that look like they take a big budget, but are small in scale. Um, Mm -hmm. The one thing that stood out to me from the commentary, and this is because I I'm, I work as an editor and I've edited some of my own films. Um, they mm-hmm. said that uh, I think it's Shinert has a tradition of finding footage that they didn't intentionally shoot and then using it in the edit mm. of the film. And the example was the water crash scene where you see the bubbles and the kind of mm-hmm. Paul Dano's body crash into the water. So that was yeah. that was before a take or something like that, the shots of the bubbles mm. in the water and just through cutting a scene, you find like, oh, there's actually like this really cool visual here. I'm going to cut this out and see if I can use it in the movie at some point. Yeah. That's the kind of small budget mentality that makes these guys so brilliant, I think. It's the fact that they're not they're so humble that they don't think that that's a big deal. They're not mm. like too good for that.
0: Yeah yeah absolutely I think they're they're just like they're so resourceful and you can feel so much passion in the craft and things like that and and they've achieved this style like again I think if you showed me a Daniel stunt in a vacuum from something I hadn't seen before I think you can tell it's theirs there's a bit of a signature look which is rare too and at the same time yeah and at the same time they've got this sort of uh, between their their two movies at least this very um, as I said empathetic and endearing sincere quality to the way that they think about people in their movies and the way that people treat one another and the things that they go through um i think this movie you know if you break it down it's um a suicidal man a man who ran away from society who in the very opening of the film is trying to kill himself trying to convince a dead body why life is interesting or worth it or what the point is and they they couch it in the the sort of plot device that oh, if Manny can remember stuff, maybe he can help him get home. Maybe he knows where they are, something like that. But it's really just, yeah, like a guy trying to convince himself, like, well, if you walk through what your body is and what it does and what, what the meaning of life is, like, are you going to fall in love with someone? Are you going to find a dog? Like, are, are, food is good. Like, you we love we love Cheeto puffs, things like that. Slowly just sort of making an argument for our existence, regardless of how gross it is. And regardless of the way that we treat things that we find useless, I find it to be a very touching movie.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to get bogged down with some of the interpretations that this movie has been uh, kind of laid up on it because people Mm. really kind of took this suicidal man story and think that this
0: whole thing is about that. People love a he was dead the whole time theory.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that this movie works as... Something that you can, like, yes, speculate all you want. That's the fun Mm -hmm. of movies like this. But I don't think that there's one specific meaning that the Daniels were getting at here. And I don't think that it's fair to hold the movie up as something that either half-assed or kind of copped out of Mm -hmm. what it was trying to do by having, you know, the farting corpse of Manny speed off in the end. Yeah. I saw that comment a lot when I was doing research that this was a cop-out of some kind because they didn't want it to be, like, this tragic thing about some creep living in the woods who was suicidal and had to talk himself out of killing himself. Mm-hmm. I think that this movie is so much more than that, and I don't think it was ever the Daniels' intention to kind of have one singular meaning for what's yeah. actually happening here.
0: I love I love that, meaning, that, that ending just sort of, like, on an emotional level where you just see, you know, he, he sort of brings Manny back to life by... by by truly being honest and farting in front of him, which he, he always refused to do. But at the same time, this whole movie, you've just been with Manny and Hank, and it's very sort of, um, it's a very, it's very sort of lovely building relationship, and it has its problems, and they overcome them and stuff like that. And then these other people, like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and, uh, and her husband and her kid, and the cops and the paramedics, watch this corpse, and uh, sort of, you know, fart off into the sunset, and it's not like triumphant with all of them. Some of them are like you can see them like swearing under their breaths or just being grossed out and things like that and i like mm-hmm. I like that they're not like oh, just fart openly, and the world will accept you. it's like not necessarily right like there's no these, these the, people give give great performances being generally grossed out by what they discover yeah, the
1: expressions kind of cover the full spectrum yeah. of reactions the to, ca- the to cameraman's
0: amazed. Um, yes, but I think the triumph is, is Dano. He was he was honest and and he was he was true to his friend, and that's all that really mattered. Uh, would, however, anyone else sees that, um, too bad for them, their loss, right?
1: Yeah. So, like I said, I just didn't want to get bogged down in these like interpretational discussions. Yeah, interpretations, because I feel like that removes so much of the magic from this mm-hmm. movie. So, let's talk about what we. Just enjoy about the subject matter here I, I um, because I think at the surface level obviously as we've talked about it's it could be seen as deeply immature <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it's starts like you said with the farting corpse and from there it almost just gets grosser but we come to accept all of the grossness in stride as the movie teaches us how to watch it basically
0: and I love movies that teach you how to watch them throughout mm-hmm. yep. And i think I think this movie forces you to reckon with the reality of your body and in a but in a positive way basically argues that you can find community and connection with other people simply on a biological level right like it, yep. th- the other things don't matter at the end of the day you know everybody poops as we'll talk about in the in the in the scene um our bodies all do these things and we all act like they don't but even if you don't want to talk about it, as long as you know it, there is this baseline to shared existence is that we all have to do these things or we all might even enjoy these things and not admit it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yes. I think there is a through line between this and
1: everything everywhere all at once. mm -hmm. Um, There's this acknowledgement and acceptance of the awkwardness of what it means to be a human Mm -hmm. and kind of letting go of rigid societal expectations that might diminish like our humans inherent uniqueness and strangeness. Mm -hmm. And the implication is that this repressed self is the result of like repressive social social structures. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that this movie does a great job of deconstructing it. And yes, the first 15 minutes is a lot to kind of like wrap your head around (laughs) the maturity level of what you're actually watching. But beyond that point, like I said, I think the movie kind of coaches you as to, This is how we're approaching it, and if you don't see it like this, then that's fine, but it's pretty on the nose. It's not pulling any punches, Mm -hmm. and I feel like the honesty of the movie really works to kind of bring the audience in.
0: Yeah, I think one of the more daring aspects of that is that I don't think they try to judge or rehabilitate Hank, Exactly. or or at the same time, they neither... um, rob mary elizabeth winstead's character of her right to her sort of perspective and what's happening because taking yeah, that face that like too. taken taken by the facts hank is a creep um yep uh you know he took he took a, a a photo without consent things like that there's a lot of things that are just outright not great about him and i love that it, it, by the end of the movie it's not like winstead is like won over. Or like she's not smiling at the end as Mar as Manny farts away. And the more she finds out about Hank, the more disgusted and and um and uh uh sort of intruded upon she feels. And I think it's just it's open about both of those things. And I think that's that's rare that they didn't try to teach a lesson or something like that. Or also just be like, yeah. Oh, but she she sees why he's special now or something like that. Again <laughs> you said like they have this full range of reactions on that beach, and I think that's very important.
1: Yeah, the movie definitely doesn't force you into liking Hank. It allows you to like him if you are kind of seeing his perspective and kind of throughout the movie I feel you can relate to him more Mm -hmm. um, through his conversations with Manny. But it doesn't tell you by the end you have to like this character. I I don't like the character by the end. No, Um, But I think his journey is truly inspiring and Mm -hmm. beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a nice sort of... Uh, tarnished mirror to hold up and be like I, I, I see it. I see some of my parts in Manny for sure right like yeah. there's a lot of sort of and I mean you know to the to the like, uh, you know it should be said like this movie has a specific perspective as, as inclusive and open as it is it's definitely rooted in sort of like a white male cishet modern society like you grow up and you know that you want to meet a girl and get married and things like that I don't think it's closed off to other things but I also think that Daniel's focus on the experience that they can tell and that's the same with their following movie which talks more about the the uh asian american experience and things like that that uh, yeah. at least one of them can speak to as well but no i think it's i think it's it walks a very fine line of not making a hero out of hank too much and not expecting other people to just be amazed by what by what he's become and what he's done and, in fact, often grossed out when they realize that he's been hanging out with a dead body in the woods. Not that far from society. He wasn't really that lost.
1: Yeah, and that's always the part that I kind of have to take a step back from and not over like overanalyze mm-hmm. or stress about. Because, to me, that's the most r- ridiculous part in the sense that I don't like that aspect of the movie. But I forgive it because of so much of what the movie is doing. Like I said, the journey is what matters. Yeah. It's not... Like, honestly, that last twenty minutes is not my favorite. It's it's the I don't, worst I don't part love of the it. movie it's, for myself. It's very challenging but I also I don't think it
0: even matches the calibre even close to the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, them in the woods on their own is where this movie really works. It's not frustrating, but it's a little just like you know, you it, it's exposing at the end when they end up in that backyard and all that stuff. Yeah. And you're just kinda like way of putting this it. This is like, you know, if you're gonna share your 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 oddness it's not gonna it's not gonna work it's not always gonna go over well um i mean i like i do like the the scene of manny trying like just showing all his abilities to the little girl like he summons up a fart and spits up water and his boner starts pointing and things like that but um i mean the kid the kid is kind of won over by the farting corpse a bit she at least understands his value (laughs) pretty scared of the boner though oh and as as she should be that, that, yeah, that, that thing is. That's terrifying, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, is it. It's when. It's the first time he gets that erection where, where Radcliffe has that great line where he's like. He's like what's
1: oh, what's it? happening? Oh, what is that? It? It's alive! What is it? It's moving! Oh, God, I'm disgusted. No no, 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 You're not disgusted. Oh, no, my body is disgusted. Right?
0: No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yeah, great. I mean, yeah, there's it, so much going on this movie, so too, about just sort of like rapid maturation right because you have like and it kind of goes both ways like you could argue that like you know manny manny gives water to hank which is kind of like nursing or lactation but then hank is teaching him about what your body is and what it does that everybody poops that there are manners which sort of come up at the end of our scene um puberty social graces how to talk to a girl things like that. Um, And I I think there's, there's a lot in there too, just about like what it is to grow up and discover what your body does. But,
1: and I think that it speaks to the realism of the film that, you know, this comes from two male director writers. Mm -hmm. uh, And I think that them being able to uh, create this movie was almost cathartic for them, right? Yeah. They talk about how good of friends they are and how, much this movie really means to them and i feel like this is them kind of exercising a lot of stuff that they Mm -hmm. wanted to talk about for a long time absolutely
0: um but yeah no i think i think in general that's the other thing i want to say about the movie as a whole i think it just makes a great case from a production level to a thematic level that it's not about what a thing is it's how it's used they really make the argument that yeah like a dollar can go a very long way if you try right um there's no such thing as trash right everything could have a purpose um things like that. I think I think I think there are some lovely themes in this movie, but um other than that, I'm happy to jump into the scene if you like.
1: Well, yeah, on the subject of symbolizing trash
0: yeah. or creating sim-
1: symbolism out of trash. Um so our scene today is called uh actually the Daniels ca- have a name for the scene, which is The History of the Universe. <laughs> and uh the scene goes from 2512 to 2811. Uh, in the confines of their habitable cave, Hank explains the real world to Manny in hopes of triggering memories of his past by using trash that they find to illustrate the world that Hank ran away from. Um, obviously, this stars Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano, and we haven't actually maybe said Paul Dano's name yet, but man,
0: what a great a performance, times. too. Yeah, okay, he's, I mean, that guy always delivers. I don't think I've seen every time. a bad performance. Um, I really want to see. I, I've had it on my my list for a while, but he directed a movie in the last couple of years. So I still haven't seen. Yes,
1: it. I haven't seen it yet either.
0: Yeah. Um, the
1: Cowboys and Aliens, man.
0: <laughs> I forgot about Cowboys and Aliens. I I more think this. Uh, there will be blood. Little Miss Sunshine. You know. Even the Riddler. Uh, R- Ruby Sparks <laughs> is pretty good. I good seen little Ruby indie Sparks.
1: romance. All right. I like that one. Yeah, um, he he just he elevates everything he's in. Yeah. That's all
0: all I was trying to say. Yeah. I, th- I think he's fantastic. There's a there's a wonderful, in one of the behind-the-scenes, it's a wonderful sort of series of outtakes where it's the part where he's spitting on his hands to make sweat on Manny's forehead when he's looking at, at, at Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and they could not get through it because every time he spat on his hands then put it on Radcliffe's forehead, Radcliffe is supposed to just have this dead-eyed expression, and he couldn't stop himself from breaking. But uh. See, that surprised <laughs> me actually a lot because... Radcliffe, like, of all the
1: scenes to break on, he kept breaking during that moment. And And it made sound
0: like the camera operator, too, couldn't stop laughing as well. So it got to the point where he's asking someone else to do his job because they couldn't get the take.
1: (laughs) I mean, I figured out of everything that they did in that movie that that would be a pretty tame stunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you would think so. it, It was really... It was cool how Radcliffe apologized to Paul Dano and, and the crew yeah. at the end of it when well, he finally nails it. Paul
0: the tape. Dano was was expelling a lot of spit. Like you can get dehydrated at a certain point doing that many takes. Yeah, um, I think it worked though because in the final in the final cut, you can see the
1: spit kind off of, of it's kind of on goofy. his hand. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so yeah, I just uh, yeah back to our scene. Uh, so yeah, this is you know learning about life in a cave. I don't know if there's an intentional Plato thing there, like the allegory of the cave or not, but it's a lovely little set. It's got, you know, very controlled lighting just from one side. Um, they do a lot of profile shooting, which is great, because you, and like, I think very intentionally, you've got Dano is moving his head around a lot, and expressing a lot, and then you just have Radcliffe's profile on the other side, where just his eyes are following him at best. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as we said earlier, it's about using trash. It's not what it is, it's how you use it. And uh, it, it starts with it, like, it becomes sort of a montage of, of a couple questions, right? Which begins with, what is life? Okay. What is life? Oh, okay. This is you. This is your body. and And that's where your brain is, and that's where you're going to remember something. Humans have evolved over millions and millions of years to
1: be this way. Yeah. We, we do all this stuff because it helps us survive.
0: Kind of. There's a little quick cut of all the things your hands can do, which are like, you know, devil horns and and, and high fives and, and thumbs up. Um, and then almost immediately, like Radcliffe, he's lying down in the grass. I love the palette of this, like the blue of his suit and the green of the of the woods uh, yeah. is a great look. Um, it's, it's definitely a grayer, bluer color mix in general on the movie as a whole. I think it's got that very Pacific Northwest tone to it. When, when you see the behind the scenes Radcliffe's suit is a lot more blue way brighter blue yeah
1: yeah and so it's weird that they
0: toned a color down mm-hmm. in the final color yeah but I wonder I don't know if that helped help with making him more pale things like that I wonder about that but I think yeah it's, I love I love this this sort of um, the motif in the scene of him lying down in the grass um, but then he immediately he looks over and sees some poop. And uh, the next question is, what is that? And then you sort of get into, I think, some of the, the things that this movie is more concerned with, where it's poop, trash, dead people, these things that are hidden. Um, they're what our society doesn't want. They're what our body doesn't want. They get squeezed out and they get put somewhere where we don't have to see it. What's that? It's poop. Uh, poop is when your body takes everything it doesn't want. And squeezes
1: it out of your butt. Everything poops. There's a book everybody reads about it when they're a kid. People poop every day. Or extra when they're scared or sick or right when they die because uh, you shit your pants when you die. Oh, God. No, it's okay. People die every day. Yeah, I think it's... If you're going to tackle the big question of what is life, I think you could do
0: a lot worse than talking about poop. Yeah. And and talking about, um, like, everything that we don't want, right? Like, is yeah. a great way to, a, a great foil to everything it is and what you are. Because they later get towards, here's what you do want, right? But, yeah.
1: And I think the, uh, I don't know, uh, the poignant comment is, like, is is Manny realizing that he is equated to the trash. What
0: do they do with all the dead
1: people? Do they hide them? Yeah. So I'm like trash. No, you're different. And then he asks, Hank, why are you here? Why are you so far from the real world then? Useless. Is it basically. because nobody loves and, you? You're like trash? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and the, I don't know, something about the those comments really strikes a chord with me. It's something mm-hmm. about like valuing yourself or devaluing yourself. And the fact that that's based on uh hank's supposed history of the universe to manny that's his takeaway Mm -hmm. uh it really says a lot about how we frame ourselves in in the world we live in and the way that hank instinctively tells manny
0: about the world is kind of tragic yeah i think i think there's something to be said here about how you know when you're explaining something to someone else you're usually giving a lot of information about yourself especially to an open-ended question Yes. Um, an explanation will will often reveal more about you, and I, I think that that's ex- that's very true of this and what Hank chooses to talk about. Um, and and I, I I had earlier in the notes we didn't really talk about this, but or I I guess I I mentioned this just sort of how this is sort of this process of raising Manny and teaching him. It, there's kind of this father child relationship to it a bit, and I think it 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 works because there is this process that. When you're teaching or caring for someone younger, you can vicariously experience what they see for the first time. It's a form of reflection and accounting. So, again, interpretations of this movie and whether Hank's dead or not aside, I do think, like, again, Hank is justifying why he even wants to get home. Because he ran away in the first place, so why is he coming back? And a great way of accounting for what he likes about life and what life is. And... The, t- the harder parts, the things that we hide from one another, uh, he's walking all through all this with Manny. It's, it's partially, again, you have that plot thrust where the more Manny knows, the more likely he can help them get home or, or know something that will get them home. But also at the same time, it's Hank justifying even the, the point of continuing to live to himself.
1: Yeah, I think both the literal and metaphorical takeaways from that, I think, are both equally valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is super interesting. Um, it, I do, like, once again, I said, I don't like all these, like, grand theories about this is what the movie is. It's about yeah. him being suicidal. And I, I think that there's so much more to it than that. And this kind of, this is a ri- a richly flushed out way of explaining why he was so depressed and what he did love about the world but also like it's it's good exposition in some ways. I think it, it there's it's multifaceted in its mm-hmm. functions and I think it's just done really, really well in this scene.
0: Yeah, and it it did just occur to me that like, yeah, I guess you want to break it down really, really clearly. You know, at the beginning he's about to kill himself. Or he try like he 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 or he accidentally falls off the cooler, but he's yeah, about yeah. to and then he sees Manny. And really, yeah, that only difference there isn't even another person it's another body right and the body the only thing it's doing is farting but that was all it took to sort of bring hank back to even considering survival again right um and i think there's there's a lovely idea in there that just like even less than one person even a a barely animated corpse could be enough to bring someone back from the edge uh to let them reconsider what the what the point of it is and and what the value there is in, in continuing to try and survive Um. well we do get a glimpse of it
1: in our scene that we're talking about today but there is further mention of how depressing hank's life is Mm -hmm. in the sense that he lost his mom who is someone who he's very close with at a young age and then his dad is kind of a pretty unloving father figure um he seems to have a lot of uh, anxiety in social situations and also pretty grandiose ideas of what being popular or being someone who is more sociable would be doing Mm -hmm. and those are the kind of feelings that he's kind of teasing to Manny even though he doesn't exhibit any of those qualities himself it's almost like the the bolder version that he would love to be yeah it's
0: aspirational like maybe he can make Manny into that right and and they do that later where you know they're on the bus walking through the conversation that he would have all the things that he never did but he's like he's he's coaching Manny and he's encouraging him and things like that. So yeah, there's a, there's this aspirational aspect to it as well. It's very, very could so say that he, human he's coaching himself essentially. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because again, you know, however you want to take it. If Manny's never never animated, never anything like that, and he's just he's just a, again, like we talked about with. Um, Uh, I I mean, I mentioned being there, but this idea of just like just having a mirror is enough. Just having something to talk to is enough for for most people to take action, to learn more about themselves, to to things like that. It's almost like journaling. Right. Like there is There is no dialogue, but you're almost faking a dialogue. Um, And,
1: And going back to our notes here, it starts from just the bare essentials. Right. Like parts of your body what your body does with waste, which is poop. Mm-hmm. Um, which is brownie and then, mix in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's really important to note that the poop is all brownie mix. And also, in spite of the fact that there are so many fart jokes and farting in this movie, and there's a decent amount of poop too, apparently they only used a small portion of the amount of poop that the set designers and prop designers <laughs> made for the film. Um they said that it they would they wish that they could do a reel on the D V D of all the different the poops poop. that they made. Well I um, mean like that's, that was that's not like, on the D V D. Shout
0: out to your set and prop designers out there. They do so much work and then often like it comes out in the edit, it's however it is, like you know, some of the things that we're gonna talk about that come up later in the scene, you see them for a shot. You see them for a a one second shot at best. And it's just yes, this not even a second meticulously created stuff, uh, whether it's just a million different types of poops or or like the mini city that uh, that Hank builds in the scene. Yeah. So there's like so many vehicles, right, that he makes out of the garbage.
1: There's like cars, mm-hmm. trucks, there's a UFO, a spaceship, an airplane. Makes a dog out of like Chinese food boxes.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, um but, and so but, we gotta, we gotta give credit where credit's due. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, in the commentary, they mentioned that all these props were made, uh, almost all the props from this scene were made by a guy named Calder Greenwood, mm-hmm. um, who is both a street artist, a sculptor. And, uh, we, I found out just by doing a bit of research that he's also a filmmaker. Um, and so credit where credit's due, Calder Greenwood, we're going to shut you up because it's probably rare that someone who is labeled as, what was it? Assistant property mad at master. I think that's his title. Assistant Property Master um, gets credit where credit's due because, like Tim said, this is something that you barely ever get to see in some movies, uh, whether it's the work that they put in or the actual results of their work. Sometimes they don't even make it in the final cut, and it's such an important part of making a movie feel lived in and real and relatable. Mm -hmm. Um, And seeing all this familiar garbage and products that we have all thrown out ourselves in the garbage being repurposed in this way to explain the significance of
0: life. There's mm-hmm. just something the something full circle about that. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned in, in the commentary or something, they, they were mentioning that like on film sets that they'd done before, they just come across so much trash. So it was almost it was like actu- an idea of, of making use of it. It was when they were doing f- uh, f- uh, location scouting for this film.
1: They said mm-hmm. that they were inspired to use the trash as an item because of how much trash they encountered across all these beautiful parks and locations that they were scouting and mm-hmm. they realized that they that was something that they could use as a tool. Yeah. To explain
0: uh, the significance of all these of all
1: what life is, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean the the sequence in this scene where you've got all these insert shots of just Hank's hands holding up the different trash where he's like why oh, don't people want it anymore? Well, that's broken. That's empty.
1: This is useless,
0: smelly, old. And then throughout the scene, you see them used in many different ways. So again, I mentioned uh, Be Kind Rewind. He kind of Swedes these um, little like action scenes, right? Whether it's like um, Manny coming out of the ground as a zombie. He's got like a little headstone behind him that his R.I.P. Or him as a cryo soldier where he's like strapped to Dano's body and he's walking him forward with like a handgun. And a helmet. Uh, there's Superman y, where he's got him propped up in Superman pose and he's dressed up as a woman needing to be saved. Um, just these Once great again, all little, these shots
1: are like two seconds long. Yeah. And all require costume and prop
0: and set design. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. No. And, and that's just, I think, I think the cumulative effect of these things in this movie is like, you really feel like these guys. And and their team, like the entire crew, just loves what they're doing. Everything has care in it. Every shot counts. There's just a little depth of production, of effort. Um, and one other fun fact that I
1: learned from the commentary is that they were only permitted to use Hostess products on, like, in-frame. Mm. Uh, and this And apparently they tried to get so many other companies on board and were turned down by all of them except for Hostess. So props mm. to Hostess for letting yeah, right on. the Daniels in, the, like use their stuff. Uh, apparently, Hostess really benefited when they allowed Zombieland, the film, to use Twinkies. I bet. Uh, so, yeah. so uh, th- I think the Daniels said that that's probably why they're cool, letting anybody mm-hmm. use their stuff in movies because it could always work in their favor. Yeah. Why not another bump? Yeah. What? Like, I don't know why companies refuse this kind of stuff. To be honest,
0: sometimes. Right. Yeah. Any publicity is good publicity, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, in general, I think, I mean, there, there are a bunch of different scenes we could have talked about, but I think this one had clearly that production design and care in it and also uh, tied into a bunch of the themes that are, that are present in this movie, right? Yeah. I
1: wanted to say just a couple quick things about, like, the editing, which is really, once again, stylized to the way that Dan- the Daniels like to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quick it's effective it's illustrative and like everything you're seeing is kind of it's what we talk about with wes anderson films where you when you make an edit you're the object of interest is usually in the same place in the frame as the next thing you're showing Mm -hmm. and it really helps your eyes find that what is significant about the image when it's only a two second shot yeah i don't know if i'm explaining this well but it really makes it easy on the eyes to watch when the object that you're seeing and then you cut to the next shot, the, the next object's also in that same position. Yeah,
0: in, in su- successive shots, their their composition is strategically sort of like put together so that the eye isn't doing much work. It's not scanning around. Uh, you, you can you can get a lot of clarity while still having a quick edit.
1: And, and it's not obvious in the way that everything is staged and framed. It's natural to the eye when it's this consistent, which I've already addressed in this episode. But all this is a testament to how well they plan their shots and maybe a testament to their DP, too. Um, Their DP, Larkin Siple. Great name. Yeah. Uh, And I also wanted to say that I think the main reason why I thought the scene was so significant is because it's a uh, small fraction of the movie but it also sets up this key character trait in Hank uh, where he's accepting that he is all of these uh, like supposedly not good things like smelly mm-hmm. and ugly and trash and old <laughs> you mean Manny no where Hank is realizing all Hank? these things oh, because okay. remember how Manny kind of calls him out on all this yeah. at the end. Yeah. He's like, so you're all these things.
0: Okay, you want to go home so you can have love. Yeah. But you ran away because nobody loves you. <laughs> That's not true. You're
1: broken and empty and dirty and smelly and useless and old. You're like trash, right? Shut up! What? I'm sorry, Hank. I'm just saying the things in my head. Well, you can't just say everything that comes into your head. That's bad talking
0: yeah you're trash no one loves you right and then again like you know in his sort of parenting of him he's like well you can't just say things like that right like he sort of brings in the the construct of manners and i think uh this is a something that carries over
1: into the daniel's other film everything everywhere all at once is that the restraint on on what you can say and can't say Mm. and what you what you're feeling should be able to be let out I think that this is something that's interrogated throughout this film really effectively. And it kind of starts with this scene. Um, it's why I really liked using this as a launch pad to talk about the film. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, like you can tell the Daniels, they, they've got thoughts about social graces and social constructs and what in, what is and isn't acceptable, even though it may be a universal fact of our existence. And you're right, it, it appears in this movie and it's, it's definitely in everything everywhere all at once as well. But, yeah, I mean, I think with that, if you want to jump over to some shout-outs, we're both talking about real animals on set. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I just give a shout-out. They had a real bear on set. Uh, they said it basically only ate ice cream sandwiches. But uh, there's some nice footage of the the bear trainer basically getting it out, um, getting him that to, was like, so chew. Cool, right? Yeah, getting him to chew on, like, the Paul Dano dummy leg and then, like, uh, bear its teeth and sort of do, like, a little, like, silent roar while they have, like this like colored light that's colored to the same as the fire is like roaring. Cause it's when Manny sets himself on fire to scare the bear off. Uh, it's a great, great little sequence. And it was nice to see that it was a real bear. I think it looked yep. great on camera. Very well. Uh, I bear. mean, I mean, in, in voiceover Shiner gave the advice that if you run into a bear in the woods, just like throw an ice cream sandwiches and then run the other way. Um, I'm not sure if that's good advice, but it's something at least. Apparently, it worked for this bear. Uh, I yeah. can't remember the bear's name. That's a shame. Yeah, it had a good name. I don't remember either. Yeah. We'll, we'll link. Um, I mean, we've, we've mentioned this one video like nine times so far. It'll be linked in the notes if you want to go find the bear's name, see some of that totally,
1: footage. Totally worth watching some of that footage because yeah. it's rare you get this kind of quality of animal training live on camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really it was really interesting for someone who makes movies like myself um, to see. Uh, and also really interesting as far as the real animals in this film go, the raccoon that uh, at one point in the cave, Hank wakes up and Manny, uh, there's a raccoon eating out of Manny's mouth seemingly, or it's like just inspecting Manny's mouth. In this scene, it's a dummy of Manny. Um, The story behind this is apparently Daniel Radcliffe was just messing around with one of the dummies Mm -hmm. uh, of himself. And he... They didn't explain what he was doing, but a cigarette ended up falling into the dummy, yeah, and they couldn't get it out, and they <laughs> and this raccoon was obsessed with trying to get the cigarette out. So they figured that this was a nicotine addicted
0: raccoon. That's great. I didn't know that. I didn't see that one. Uh, I like because yeah, I like, believe it was in the commentary. And, oh, okay. They wake up, and yeah, Manny's like, what did he say it's like a weird cat or a weird squirrel or something? He refers to it as something else.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember either. And then, <laughs> or oh no, or does he refer to the bear as a as a big raccoon? It might. Yes, be, it might that's be, what you know. it is. What?
1: Yeah, that's what I wanted to tell you, Hank. There's a giant raccoon and it's eating our food. Yeah, that's
0: it. Um, and then and then Dano, one of Dano's best line deliveries in the movie, where he goes, "Let me eat you." And chases the raccoon out yeah. of the cave and completely wipes out. Knocks over his water. Um No, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, like uh they, they it's nice when they can get real real animals on set and they appear to be taken uh taken care of. Um You mentioned in your notes too, and I, I at least in the in the behind the scenes I saw as well, it seemed very clear that they had they had a great safety team. Um I mean in terms of yeah. the bear their ad very very dryly said okay so number one security or safety focus today uh would be the bear in the cage zoom out. <laughs> but um, that is the
1: same day they did the fire stunt so yeah you know what? i think they're pretty equal in mm-hmm. danger yeah
0: but no that those those were lots of fun um so this is wrapping up our non-horror a24 month last month we did non-horror alien So if you can guess, uh, October is coming up fast and we're going to do some horror. (laughs) We can't wait. Um, We're kicking it off uh, with uh, something we we feel like a lot of you have probably seen and is always good for a rewatch. And that's Scream. The original Scream from 1996 by by Mr. Wes Craven. Uh, And then we're going to do a Wes Craven vote for the other one. However, Taylor and I are also going to roll out uh some bonus episodes on a favorite horror movie of each of ours so we're gonna try and get you four episodes this coming month
1: yeah we're really excited about that i'm i think i have my pick already
0: selected uh i don't know if you do okay i think i do but we'll see mine's mine is unfortunately a very long movie so if i can think of something i like as much but is a little bit shorter and easier for both of us and our our listeners to 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 tune in for i'll switch to that but we'll see
1: yeah, so uh, if it wasn't clear, we're going to do four episodes across the four weeks of October, uh, starting with Scream, ending with a. Wait, are we doing a my
0: pick? We'll do it then every so it'll, be, it'll be Scream, and then one of our picks, and then the Craven vote, and then one of our picks. Gotcha, and uh, it should be right in time for
1: you for Halloween. Um, but now that you mentioned Scream. Uh, it is available to watch on the service Shudder, the streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim and I are both subscribers to this service, and I personally do not subscribe to any other uh, streaming service other than Shudder. Uh, it's five ninety nine a month for Canadians. Um, it's well worth it if you are into horror at all, because yeah. even if you watch one movie on there a month, I feel like that's worth the five ninety nine. dollars yeah. um, And especially for October coming up, you know, treat yourself 599 is not a big price to pay for unlimited horror films mm. and
0: there actually is a great selection we are not sponsored by shutter at all i wish we could give you like an ssc pod code maybe maybe for halloween next year we'll see if we can get we can get in there but we're just big fans um you know six bucks for the for the month of october and all those horror movies there are great independent ones there are great international ones and it has four installments from the scream franchise um so including the the original from 96 that you're going to want to watch before our episode drops anyway so that's just our, our unmotivated um you know uh, opinion that uh you should you should sign up for shutter and give it a try because otherwise i think if you want to stream scream you have to get i don't know paramount tv plus or something dumb oh like God. that um but yeah so that's uh that's our halloween month we cannot wait i'm so excited um, I've already by the time this drops I will have already started watching horror movies because honestly a month isn't long enough once the, once the leaves start turning you can get into that Halloween spirit yeah end of September it's all kosher yeah and uh, as for our recommendations um, I am going with another one from the same year and it has a similar feel to me I think there's a, a kind of scrappy take to the filmmaking and uh, some great little stunts and not a huge budget and a promising sort of younger talent, uh, uh, at least at the time. Uh, this is "Hunt for the Wilder People" by uh, Taika Waititi from 2016. Uh, so you got Sam Neill in there. Um, just a, a phenomenal movie with a smaller cast. Very funny, very touching. Um, you know, I hope I hope Taika Waititi goes back to things more of this of the, in this vein. Personally, me too, because um, uh, I was a big fan of it. Uh, so you definitely check that out if you liked uh, Swiss Army Man. It's less gross, but I'd say just as touching and endearing. Okay, great pick. <laughs> um, so I have
1: my recommendation, and I kind of like to tie a thread from the movie we're talking about to my pick, no matter how loose the thread is. Um, so looking at uh, the director of photography, Larkin Seipel, saw that they've done a couple movies that I liked. Uh, the real small indie movie cop car was pretty cool but i wanted to focus in as my recommendation this week on the film i don't feel at home in this world anymore which is one of the longest titles i think in film history yeah uh, it's a 2017 movie from Macon Blair once again it's called i don't i don't feel at home in this world anymore uh it stars melanie linsky and elijah wood as promised we i mentioned him again this episode mm-hmm. Um, it's a wonderful movie the only shame is that i can't buy the film on blu-ray because it's a netflix owned property and they funded it and produced it and you can only watch it on netflix uh, for forever Until they decide to
0: just take it off because you know it's taking up too much space i'm sorry i'm I'm salty about other streaming platforms just (laughs) erasing people's work Yeah, because Macon Blair is
1: also a pretty awesome talent, uh, not only as a director but as an actor, and this is his directorial debut. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you like uh, Green Room or Blue Ruin, um, Mm -hmm. any of Jeremy Solnier's films, Macon Blair is one of the stars usually, and uh, this movie, I don't feel at home in this world anymore, is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, no, this is a great movie. I really love this one. Uh, Elijah Wood is hilarious, Uh, and Melanie Linsky, who is a phenomenal actor... And has just started getting a little bit more acclaim and recognition, I think, for doing... She's in a great show called Yellow Jackets. Um, But uh, it's just great performances, real tight direction, uh, great recommendation, and, and, you know, you can just go find it on Netflix.
1: Yep, it's a pretty easy one to find. Um, And then I have a bit of a bonus recommendation, which we will link in the description. Mm -hmm. Uh, Calder Greenwood, as we mentioned before, the assistant property master uh, for who did a lot of the props for our scene today has a short film on YouTube. It's a 10 minute, 40 second uh, long film, really worth a watch. It's amazing visual effects for something that is a micro budget, obviously short film. Um, and you can find it on YouTube. It's called the package by Calder Greenwood from 2009. Definitely check, check this out, support it. Um, he's done great work on big movies and this is his own project. So highly recommend you just click that link and watch his 10 minute film
0: absolutely yeah check the link in the show notes and i mean with that we're all done for september uh thanks for tuning in everybody and we'll catch you next month for a whole lot of horror movies in the meantime if you're listening to listening to our podcast on apple podcast leave us a review you want to send us an email it's single serving cinema at gmail.com and you can connect with us on instagram at ssc pod we have some other follow links in the show notes so check them out there and uh with that I'd say uh you know if you got a fart, uh let her rip.